Hello. Hello. I'm Kelsey. I'm Kim. Welcome to episode five of the Massive Fans Book Club podcast. We are beyond the halfway point and nearing the end of A Court of Thorns and Roses by Sarah J. Mass. And today we'll be covering only six chapters, chapters 35 through 40. And yet we have so much to say that this episode is likely to be no shorter than our 10 chapter episodes. Yep. So grab a snack or a drink because between medical reasons and pregnancy on this podcast, neither of your hosts can drink right now. And we'd love it if you've had one for us. Please, somebody, somebody enjoy a beverage for us. Well, please do. And remember to find some place for the kiddos to go or plug in your headphones because this podcast is not for little ears. Again, nope. today is less sexy and more just gruesome, but still. Yeah, we don't want kids being freaked out. Yeah. So I think that about wraps up the housekeeping, Kim. So why don't you take us back under the mountain? <laughs> I can go back under the mountain and here we go. Like I said at the end of the last one, we have started down this crazy roller coaster and it's like the big hill. We have gone down and we are like starting to pick up speed and here we go. So we ended the last chapter as a recap really quick that, you know, Farah had been brought before Queen Amarantha and she declares her love for Tamlin and basically the Adder and his buddy has kicked the ever-living shit out of her. And that's literally where it ended. So here we go. So at chapter 35, it actually opens with Feyre coming to in a dungeon. There's a happy thought, right? Hey, she came too. I, I think this is a positive considering true. how bad. It's true. It the book could have ended there with, and then she bled out. Yeah, pretty much. And so she, she's coming, you know, coming to and coming back, doing that mental, you know, body check. What's broken, what's not broken. Finds out she has a split lip, can barely open her eyes, so she knows she's probably got some serious black eyes going on. And then all of a sudden, she can't breathe right, and she realizes her nose is broken. Ouch. And, uh, but other than that, all of the other injuries she actually sustained are superficial, mostly bruises and bumps and, and nothing, nothing that requires major medical intervention other than a broken nose. And as she's coming to and trying to come in and out of consciousness, uh, Lucian appears in her cell. And, and, ooh, yay, Lucian! Go, Lucian! Yay. Yeah, like, thank God. Our, our buddy showed up, man. I'm, go, go, bud. And uh, he comes down, and, and first of all, he berates her. What the hell are you doing here? Well, which we all expected. We, we knew that would be his reaction. <laughs> so she does explain to him... You know, he's like, what, have you lost your mind? You know, why are you here? Like, he really is giving her a hard way to go. And she's like, look, I, I, I came back to the manor house. I, I saw Alice. She told me what happened. And I just couldn't let Amarantha beat the crap out of you guys and, and do this to you. I had to try and fight. I had to take a stand. And anyway, he checking her out and he's like, you know, all right, so what's going on? And she's like, you know, I think my nose is broken, uh, but nothing else. And Lucian's like, okay, well, the, the guards are about ready to change over, but the current ones that are supposed to be watching you are drunk. So we have a few minutes here. And he fixes it. And he's like, but before I can fully fix it, I have to set it 
and then I'll heal everything to the best of my ability. So he Which does. totally grosses me out. I'm okay with a lot of like blood, guts. I watch a lot of yeah. like CSI bones. I mean, I remember one gruesome episode of bones with a liquidated body in a bathtub and that did not set yeah. me off. But the idea of setting a nose, anything with noses and kneecaps totally creeps me out. <laughs> I understand. Uh, she says, pain lanced through me and a crack burst through my ears, my head, before I fainted. <laughs> Gotta admit, probably would have passed out myself. <laughs> he, poor Lucian, then he's apologizing, you know, I couldn't heal you completely, but, you know, the nose is fixed. But, you know, you still have a black eye and you still have all this other stuff, which, let's face it, if she had been fully healed, the jig would have been up because Amarantha would have known. So he did her a favor. <laughs> right. But he also has the cutest line. She's like, and my nose. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> fixed and as pert and pretty as before. <laughs> I know. It's really sweet. He's it's walking a fine line here. He's he just, is. he's walking a fine line. Tamara's going to be pissed. <laughs> well, that, but, he'd you be know, flirting with his girl too much. You know? <laughs> well, but, you know, at the same time, it's kind of the first time he's really, one of the first times he's really genuinely, like, sweet with her. It's like, aw, like, he really actually does like her. Like, really does like her. <laughs> Yay! Of course, the mayor's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hold, hold the boat. <laughs> I thought you didn't have magic. And he's like, oh, well, Amarantha gave me some of it back. <laughs> so Fairy starts asking, she goes, okay, so that ring with the eyeball, is that really Jurian? <laughs> and Lucian's like, um, yeah, that, that's his eyeball and his finger on her necklace. And um, somehow with magic, she trapped her, his soul and conscious with the eyeball in the ring. Kind of gross. Yeah. Yeah, I just try not to think about that one too much. And if you've read Throne of Glass and you've been through the whole series, go back to when they found that cave under the 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 black market area and, and it's the death god stuff. And there are all these weird similarities, people, and we can have that conversation when we get through that series because let me tell you, I've read the, the, the comments about that outside of this and um yeah a lot of us are all on the same page so who knows and we do know that sarah damas has said that all three of her series are kind of interconnected in a way so who knows nobody knows they're 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 all part of the larger universe together so who knows um anyway and so Lucian does explain the story of Jurian and Amarantha to, to Feyre and explains that Jurian had been involved with Amarantha's sister and Amarantha's sister decided she loved Jurian more than she loved uh, being Fey. And um, Jurian killed her. Jurian's human. And to seek revenge, Amarantha basically... She disobeyed various orders that had been given to her by the King of Highburn and <clears throat> actually caused him to lose the war. Um, I would assume he's a little mad about that. I would think, but apparently not that mad because he let her come to Prithian. Yeah, and, I don't know uh, if anyway, let is the real word there. <laughs> true. He had her go to Pr Prithian to do his dirty work. But anyway... 
apparently it took her several weeks to torture and kill Jurian. And all that's left is the bone and the eyeball and the ring and ooh. Pleasant. Anyway, Lucian, as he's finishing up the story, realizes that the guards are changing. He needs to get out of Dodge because God forbid he's caught in there. And so suddenly he just vanishes. And it's like, whoops, gotta go. Poor, so poor, poor Feyre is left in her cell kind of going, and now what do I do with His myself? last little line to her is really hilarious and cute, though. She, she says, try not to die, will you? I've already have, I already have a long list of fairies to kill. I don't need to add more to it. If only for Tamlin's sake. <laughs> Super cute. I agree. I love it. It's a great line. Because her, her, her thought to that was, is, well, of course, that's why you came down here, dum-dum. Um, yes and you no, know. though. I don't think he gets enough I credit know. for the fact that he's also just, like, a nice guy who hates to see this happen to her. <laughs> no, and I, I don't disagree. I, I think it's interesting that that's her perception of it. Though. I thought the same thing. I was like, way to sell your man short here. <laughs> like, he's the one who just fixed your nose, girl. We should probably be nice about it. <laughs> Exactly. the best intentions <laughs> yeah so anyway Lucian vanishes this time Fair is lucid enough that she's making note of her surroundings noting passages and noting things in the passages so she could figure out how to get from point A to point B noting where the exits are in the throne room she tries really hard not to look at Claire's body in the arch over one of the doorways that, that's up on the ceiling which still to this day i think ew because she keeps yeah. saying she refers to it as a rotting body <laughs> rose pleasant amaranth is like you know i haven't been able to sleep and i realized something you know my name but i don't know yours what's your name and Farah, for once keeps her mouth shut <laughs> And Amarantha keeps poking at her and poking at her and poking at her. And she just, she's like, not saying a word. If the reference then goes back to, well, you already know it'll happen for giving me a false name. And she's referring to Claire. Poor Claire. And after she says that, she, Amarantha suddenly calls for a resand. And I love this little, this little bit because this is hysterical. Me too. <laughs> Reese is a slick man, let me tell you. My note the literally perfect. says, dude, you will say anything, won't you? I consider him to be the perfect courtier. <laughs> because Amarantha's like, is this the girl you saw at Tamlin's? Reese looks at her, looks at Amarantha, and it's calling, I don't know. He's like, humans all look alike to me. Um, okay. And, and Amarantha's like, um, pardon? Well, if that's the case, what about fairies? And Resand says, he bows to her and it's very smooth. As, as, the, as the quote goes, it goes, Resand bowed again, so smooth that it looked like a dance. Among a sea of mundane faces, yours is a work of art. Meaning Amarantha. And I repeat, my dude will say anything. <laughs> he will say anything to amuse himself. <laughs> And of course, this whole time, Feyre's like, hmm, humans all look alike, right, BS, I'm calling you on a dude, I don't buy it. Um, 
And she's like, we stand, knew exactly how I looked. He'd recognized me that day at the manor. But she wills herself into neutrality. Good call. Not giving, good call. Yeah, she didn't want to give it away. So anyway, Amarantha's like, demanding a Reese. Well, what's her name? And Rhysand's like, how would I know? She lied to me. And so Amarantha's like, fine, you want to play games? I can play games. And she suddenly has Lucian brought in. And Lucian's fighting to get away. He's brought in right next to her. And Amarantha looks at Rhysand and tells him to hold Lucian's mind. So no those bueno. No bueno. Those claws go in and, you know, Lucian's mind gets clamped down on by Rhysand. And poor Fair is doing an oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit moment. Amarantha is demanding answers from Lucian. Lucian doesn't say a word. He decides he's gonna, he would rather die than give this one up. Which I think is an interesting stand to take. Yeah. And then Amarantha is like, she looks at Tamlin and she's like, her name? Tamlin! Mr. No response, no comment, nothing. Lucian's brothers were like, if we knew it, we would tell you. They're ready to sell him out. Yep. And Reese tightens his grip on Lucian's mind. And as Lucian groans in pain for the first time, Feyre finally spits out her name as Feyre. Rhysand steps back and Lucian sags to the ground, but he's still alive and in there. And Amarantha says, and this is kind of cool. I thought this was really interesting. She's Speaking Feyre's name, she's like, Feyre, testing my name, the taste of the two syllables on her tongue, an old name from our earlier dialects. Well, Feyre, I promised you a riddle. And as we talked about before, she has three trials. She has to get through all the trials. and She bargained with Amarantha to release Tamlin and his court from the curse. Or she can solve this riddle from Amarantha, and this riddle will absolve the, the curse immediately. And I and, just have to say, honestly, this riddle just did not take that long for me to figure out. <laughs> it didn't take long for me either. But, but that's okay. Understanding where Favor's coming from, understanding her mindset coming sure, into this sure. I can actually I, I can understand why she she struggled with it. But here's the riddle. There are those who seek me a lifetime, but we never meet, and those I kiss, but who trample me beneath ungrateful feet. At times I seem to favor the clever and the fair, but I bless all who are brave enough to dare. By large, my ministrations are soft-handed and sweet, but scorned, I become a difficult beast to defeat. For though each of my strikes lands a powerful blow, when I kill, I do it slow. The pharaoh's like, blanked out her mind. She has no clue. She's like, uh... <laughs> Pharaoh's like running through animals in her head. 
And I'm like, girlfriend, you ain't even close. <laughs> nope. No, she's so not close. She just, she doesn't have anything. And, and poor favorite's like, the answer's so close, but she couldn't, it just wasn't coming to her. She knew she knew it, but it just wasn't coming. Poor thing. Granted, she is still recovering from having the ever-living shit kicked out of her. So I, I don't know. Maybe her brain's a little addled. True, I, might, might be too. And anyway, Amara and Flo's like, okay, fine. Think on it. And the next thing we know, she gets locked away in her cell yet again. She gets about two days into the cell. They finally come in. They gather her. The guard is like, it's the full moon. Your first trial has started. And so... The chapter literally ends with her being taken to her first trial. Dun, dun, dun. First trial is here. Chapter 36 is here. Yay. Wait, wait, wait. lives. All right. So, Farrah gets dragged out in front of Amarantha and her cronies. And um, before the trial starts, it's in a different area, like an arena of some kind. And there's kind of a pit like a big pit in the ground and I have to tell you when I first read that so I have a small Star Wars kind of thing here I had to think of it made me think of the Sarlacc pit in Return of the Jedi because well they're talking about a pit there are a lot of weird Star Wars moments in the next couple chapters and I've noted them all so yes that is one this we, we kind of have our own weird version of Sarlacc pit. it's like it's like a mix between the Sarlacc pit and then the the Ragnar um, creature and the bottom of Jabba the Hutt's castle. I kind of had like this weird mix of the two. Don't ask me why, people, but that's kind of where my brain went. Um, so you can tell where my mind is on a pretty regular basis. Um, anyway, Amarantha is like, well, I learned a few things about you. I think you're going to enjoy this. You should look. Tells, tells Favorite to look. And Favorite gets pushed into the this pit, these trenches in the pit. But before she completely falls in, the adder grabs her and not so gently carries her and dumps her in. But at least she's not like falling face first. And anyway, <clears throat> apparently Amarantha informs Farah that she found out from Resand that Farah is a huntress. So she should really, really, really enjoy this trial. Which means right. we know it can't be good. No, no. And Amarantha's like, so, you know what? Hunt this. And just before everything starts, Ferris sees all this gold flying between people, which means they're all taking bets, right? Boy, there's a happy thought, right? But the one thing Feyre does is she looks at Tamlin one last time, trying to memorize everything she can about him, as if it's the last time she's ever going to see him. And Amarantha says, run. And you hear this crazy sound, and the next thing we know, there's this big worm. So I know Kelsey has a story, but I'm yeah. going to stick to mine really quick before Kelsey gives you hers. So again, remember, my first thought, we're looking at a big, big pit. So I'm thinking of the Sarlacc pit, right? Big, crazy mouth with tons of teeth, yeah, tons of yeah. teeth. 
and tendrils and weird things. Which is what it says. It says something about it having Yeah, tea. so, of course, I'm, I, again, Sarlacc. Um, but, like, with the view of the Ragnar. And, um, but the other thing that I kind of thought of when they talked about the worms, so you have this, like, Sarlacc worm and all, and, and if you've watched The Mandalorian, you have those weird worms on Tatooine, the desert worms. Um, and I kind of think of those, because they kind of have big teeth, too. They're kind of ugly. And you cross those two with the um, worms of Dune, the sandworms of Dune. Anyway, that's kind of the mental image I have going on. And I think it's absolutely hysterical anyway. Because mine's just like weird, creepy, sci-fi, disturbing. Right, but which Kelsey, is, I think, Kelsey, what we're going for. Yeah, I, I think so. But Kelsey has a really good one. <laughs> so I'm going to let Kelsey talk about her worm description before I go any further so into this. what happened was, as a reminder, we were reading this for book club. And my sister is in book club and I, you know, like Kim, I have a lot more, you know, background knowledge in my head of like other sci-fi worms. So, you know, yeah, I had no problem. I was like, whatever, it's fine. This is some sort of worm with teeth. And it didn't, I didn't spend too much time worrying about it, <laughs> but my sister texted me <laughs> and she's like, Kelsey, where are you in the book? <laughs> And I'm like, oh, like I'm chapter 36. And I didn't really want to give anything away in case she wasn't that far along. And she goes, the worm, yeah? And I said, yeah, why? And she goes, because I don't think I'm picturing this right. I can't help it. All I can picture is Sandy from SpongeBob trying to capture the Texas bull worm. <laughs> and I don't think that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so I immediately flash back to Spongebob and that whole thing where she's like wrestling this worm in a cave and she ties it in a knot and she comes out to Spongebob and they're like, Sandy, Sandy. And she's like, I did it. And they're like, Sandy, that's not the worm. And she's like, what are you talking about? And they're like, that's not the worm. And she's like, well, if this isn't the worm, they're like, it's his tongue. And she's like, well, if this is its tongue, then the whole thing thing is the worm worm <laughs> needless to say my sister and i both had to like put down the book for like a couple hours because at this point now we are just picturing Feyre as sandy from spongebob and the worm as the texas bullworm and the whole thing was over and the hilarious part is i said to my sister oh my god we have to talk about this at book club and we mentioned it at book club and everybody laughed. But then later I was scrolling through, like, I think it was TikTok. And I discovered there's like an entire group of people on the internet who all <laughs> pictured the Texas Bulwark. <laughs> <laughs> so basically there's like this whole group of people who grew up watching SpongeBob. Like there's like this chunk of millennials who grew up watching SpongeBob and remember that episode vividly. And when they read this book, it was ruined because we all pictured simultaneously the Texas Bulwark. And then you have weirdos like me who, what do I think of? I think of the Star Wars Sarlacc pit or the dune spice worms and, well no yeah. i think that's what it was supposed to be and to be fair we talked about that book club too about how sometimes books like these are harder to read if you don't have those kinds of images in your head because then you have to make them up and that's how you end up with the texas bullworm so True. um <laughs> if you if you only vaguely know what i'm talking about you're like spongebob what um i did post the, a meme i found about it um to our pinterest under the yeah Akatar it is actually page. funny so it's yeah. really funny people just 
FYI, it's there if you want to go look at it. <laughs> so anyway, so there's your laugh about this vicious worm, literally a vicious worm, trying to kill and eat Feyre for dinner. <laughs> that she gets to hunt. Feyre's running through the labyrinth of tunnels made by the worm in the mud that stinks to high hell. As she's running, realizes that the worm can't see her. It sees her by scent, by smelling her, not actually like visually seeing her. Which is genius. It is. It's genius. And it gives her a really great idea. She's running through this crazy maze. And she ends up down in this lower pit. Uh, she kind of fell over an edge. She didn't realize it was there. <laughs> but she, she's okay. And she, she ends up down there. And she starts, she's kind of hiding away. And, and in fact, Amarantha gets mad at her because she's hiding. And she's like, all right. I have to think of a way out. But at least now she has like a safe place to be for a few minutes to think while this worm is trying to find her. And so she's, she, she comes up with an idea. She realizes she's standing on a bunch of bones in the mud. That the sticks and all in the mud aren't sticks, they're bones. Which, ew, but in this case, what a saving grace. Yeah, it's kind of a gross yay. Still gross. Um, ugh. Anyway, Farrah's like, I'm in a pit. And how many of you remember, or how many of you maybe have seen Indiana Jones? Because I have. You remember that Yes, one, yes. The pit where they do the stakes? Yes. And then they kind of cover it? Mm-hmm. Well, basically the idea that Farrah gets is she takes these bones and she breaks them apart. And she basically makes this pit full of bone stakes for you know, stakes made out of bones to impale this worm upon. She takes a couple of others and she makes a ladder to get herself out of the pit. She still has a couple more in the in her belt and she goes back through the through the tunnel and she stakes them into certain parts of these tunnels for her because she's realizing she's gonna have to lead the worm from wherever the worm is back to the pit. She's going to have to be doing a full run, and the only way she can do it is if she has leverage, and these bones are going to give her the leverage she needs. Smart girl. I was going to say, again, freaking brilliant, really. Yeah. And then she realizes that before she can lure this worm to her, she's going to have to do the grossest thing imaginable and cover herself head to toe in mud. Until basically the only places mud isn't is upper nose, inner ears, her eyes, and her mouth. And so she does. And, and I don't she, know if you grabbed that quote. There's a really good quote about this. Because one of the, like, Faye who's, like, looking over the edge is like, what is she doing? <laughs> yes. Actually, Resan's the one who answered it. Right, right. Or Some not. random fairy is the one who's like, what is she doing? And then Reese answers. Yeah, so like I said, the, first of all, the fairy, I just realized, doesn't just ask what's she doing. She said, what's it doing? <laughs> so Whining. Fairies, Whining about it. Fairy is an it. <laughs> yep. and, he, and so Reese responds, she's building a trap. And the fairy's like, but the Midgard... And he points out, relies on its scent to see. 
and Farah just became invisible. And I just thought that was so genius. I was like, look at him. He's like picking up on what she's putting down. <laughs> he caught her. He figured it out. He's a smart boy. She's standing in front of the worm, who, of course, doesn't know she's there because she's now invisible to the worm. And she takes this piece of bone, jagged piece of bone, and quite literally slices her hand open. Now, mind you, she's got mud all over it. There's really unsanitary stuff in all this mud. She's asking for infections. Yes, we are, we are talking prime infection territory. And she slices her hand open and forces the blood to pool in her hand, which suddenly catches the attention of the worm. And it gets ready to chase her. And she's like, wait, wait, where did it go? Where did it go? It's disappeared. And she hears Lucian yell over everybody to your left. And Farah just takes off. And she follows her path back. The, the worm is crashing around behind her. And quite literally, as she's jumping into the pit to escape, the, and the worm comes after her. She's, she's like, oh my god, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die. Squish! And the worm impales itself on her stakes a bone. Nasty. Gross! And she's sitting here and she's trying and she's trying to, to breathe and she's like, I squatted there, gulping down burning air, staring into the abyss of its flesh-shredding mouth, still open wide to devour me. It took me a few heartbeats to realize the worm wasn't going to swallow me whole and a few more heartbeats to understand that it was truly impaled on the bone spikes. Dead. She won. Woo! Go Farah. She won. Takes her a few minutes to climb her way out. The, the worm, she did hurt herself. But she's, she's not paying any attention to it. She's like seriously on an adrenaline high. And she's angrier in hell at Amarantha. And she's standing there, down there. And remember, Amarantha's whole thing about this is, is you have to prove your love. And Farrah's hit the F-U stage of proving her love. And she takes this last bone that she had that was like a sword. And she literally, she's still in the pit. She takes it from where she is and she throws it at, at Amarantha like a javelin. It's splattering mud all Which over is this white dress that Amarantha was wearing. Which is deserved. It's probably some of the best poetic justice. So I tell you, I'm, mm, you go, girl. Mm. And then she gets hauled out of the pit by the Ador. And just before she's getting taken back to her cell, Amarantha makes the comment about, well, a whole bunch of my, you know, a whole bunch of my court bet on you. But only one person won. And so the next thing we know is Ferris is grabbed and taken off down to the cell and as she's going she she finally has time to look down and see how she injured herself and sticking out of her left forearm is a piece of a bone from the pit and she can see you know the, the muscles and the tendons and the yeah and that ugh. can't be good no especially considering how gross that that pit was the mud so anyway that's literally where chapter 36 Ants. She won. She won. Trout won. Yeah, she's already made it farther than clearly anyone thought she would. Exactly. Go for <laughs> anyone but one person in the room, but we digress. True. 
We are now at chapter 37. Such a nice, smooth transition. It Not... is. Chapter 37 is horrendous and one of my favorites. It is. It's, 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 wow. Yeah, it's beautiful in kind of a disturbing, dark way. Exactly. So well written. So disgusting. It is. <laughs> Just wait till the playlist comes along, people. Just wait. <laughs> um, anyway, chapter 37. Um, apparently, Farrah goes a few days with no visitors, not Lucian, not nobody. The only people she sees are the guards who are bringing her moldy, gross-ass food. Um, and apparently, her injury is not getting better. It's getting worse. It has not stopped bleeding, which is never, ever a good sign. And she comes to at one point, and she's just like running a fever. And she realizes she's running a fever. She hasn't been able to keep food down. She keeps puking in the corner. I'm thinking she's infected, but you know, what do I know? Oh, she's and thinking it too. She's kind of thinking it too, but she's also in denial. But her symptoms are um, she has a fever, she's nauseous, she's dizzy, she's in extreme pain, breathing is difficult. I mean, she's, she's not healthy at all. And uh, anyway, but she's like, I'm not dying. And then she thinks she's possibly hallucinating because she's sitting here and she's trying to lean against the wall of this dungeon to cool down because she's hot and feverish. And a male figure appears out of the darkness. Lo and behold, it is not Lucian. It is not Tamlin. It is Resand. What? Um, poor, poor Farah. Reese, uh comes in and he's he's trying to he offers to help her and she's like get out go away and reese is like is that how you talk to someone who's here to help you and she's like basically get the hell out of here leave me the f alone go away yeah she tells him to go to hell which i said you know good for her i mean i think like the fact that she has any sass left is the only thing keeping her alive yeah basically Basically. And, uh, you know, he, he's like, look, I, I'll, I'll, make a, I'll make a trade with you. Okay, but first I have to throw this out here because Kim knows I'm keeping track here, okay? So then this book does this thing where I have <laughs> exhibit A. <laughs> These are the exact words. <laughs> That are used to describe what happens in this moment. <clears throat> Exhibit A. He stalked closer with that feline grace and dropped into an easy crouch before me. Okay, not only can I picture this perfectly because good use of words, Sarah mm -hmm. J. Mass, but also, like, just keep this in your head for a minute because I got a point to this. <laughs> so go on, Kim. I'll, I'll, I'll pop in with Exhibit B shortly. <laughs> and he's like, let me see it. And she's like, no. And she doesn't even have the energy to, like, fight it. Like, it's, her, she doesn't have the energy to move her arm where he can see it. So he reaches over and he grabs her arm. And he's like, ooh, that's wonderfully gruesome. Um, 
Okay. I don't know if I would ever describe it that way, but okay, that's kind of gross. I'll be honest. I I don't know anyone who would ever describe something like that. That ugh. anyway, but apparently it's it's wonderfully gruesome. And again, Pharaoh's like, get out. And he's like, don't you want me to heal your arm? And she's finally like, um, at what cost? Because, you know, she has finally learned enough to be able to know there's no freebies here in fairyland. Well, right. But also this conversation is so funny to me because I, I mean, I did this to myself. I, I was telling Kim earlier, I'm picturing this conversation because at some point he's even like holding her face so that she has to like look at him because he could tell she's like dizzy as fuck. And so he's <laughs> yeah. like holding her face like so she has to look at him. And so I kind of picture her face all squished up so she can't really talk and she's like get away. And all I can picture is that Disney scene with Hades and Meg. <laughs> the fishy fish. We're talking fish fish. Yeah, I'm picturing Full fishy face, like he's basically making it so she cannot answer his questions. <laughs> exactly. Which is probably one of the funniest scenes in that movie. It's it's a fun little movie. It, exactly. I was like, I don't know, I could be picturing this wrong, but I have a feeling I'm right. <laughs> I think you might be. And Reese is like, oh, so Levine amongst us has actually taught you something. <laughs> And um, he's like, look, I'll make a deal with you. And he's, he's actually trying to be very gentle with her arm because he does know she is in pain. And, and I kind of, he kind of, you know, earns me, earns some respect for me on this. And he's like, look, I'll heal your arm in exchange for you. For two weeks, every month, two weeks of my choosing, you will live with me at the night court starting after this messy three trials business. Now, full stop real quick. I read that and I was like, mm, Hades and Persephone are in the house. I thought the exact same thing. The first time I read it, because Kim read it before me. And so when I read it, I literally texted Kim and was like, there's a Hades Persephone deal going on here. And she busted out laughing because she had picked up on it too. And so, like I said, I mean, whether we're going with Hades Meg or Hades Persephone, either way, man is Hades. <laughs> yeah, resand equals Hades. But I'm laughing because, like, right before this moment when she asks, like, well, what's the cost or whatever, I'm thinking, girlfriend, we know the cost is going to be pretty damn steep considering, remember the last time you made a deal? Remember the last time you were in a meadow with a certain high lord and he was like, I could give you your vision back, which, by the way, I freaking stole from you in the first place for a kiss. Man, you had to pay a kiss to get your own damn eyesight back. <laughs> well, all of her senses, not just her eyesight, but like, well, shit. So we knew, we knew it was going to be a pretty steep price. Exactly. And she's like, nope, I've already made one bad bargain, you know? And, and he's like, no, really? But also, like, girlfriend is not listening because think about what he's saying. He is saying that he, he, his plan is to help her now and she's going to pay later by coming to visit him at his court. He's implying that she's going to get out of here. Yeah. Well, and not only that, but... 
Now, I know her thing because all she knows about Resand and his court is what what Tamlin Tamlin and Lucian have told her. And you know, that that is the they're sadistic and horrible and mean and let's face it, she really hasn't seen anything to prove otherwise. Fair. Especially completely after, fair. Especially after that gift he left in the fountain. Yeah, we could have done without that. But, you know, he's he's like, Look, I, I am offering you an out and and she's just so out of it. She's like she just keeps arguing with him to leave and to get out. And he's like, and I quote, you must be holding out for one of your friends. For Lucian, correct? After all, he healed you before, didn't he? Oh, don't look so innocent. The adder and his cronies broke your nose. So unless you have some kind of magic you're not telling us about, I don't think human bones heal that quickly. The way I see th things, Farah, you have two options. The first and the smartest would be to accept my offer. The second option, and the one only a fool would take, would be for you to refuse my offer and place your life, and thus Tamlin's, in the hands of chance. And she's still, get out, leave me alone. And um, he's like, let's say I walk out of here. Perhaps Lucian will come to your aid within five minutes of my leaving. Perhaps. He'll come in five days. Perhaps he won't come at all. Between you and me, he's been keeping a low profile after his rather embarrassing outburst at your trial. Amarantha's not exactly pleased with him. Tamlin even broke his delightful brooding to beg for him to be spared. Such a noble warrior, your high lord. She listened, of course, but only after she made Tamlin bestow Lucian's punishment. Twenty lashes. So, I think it's interesting, you know, Tamlin doesn't say shit to her, doesn't respond to her in any way, shape, or form, and yet Lucian pisses off Amarantha, and Tamlin's like, wait, no, 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 not my best friend. Uh, yeah, I have a whole note about this where it just says, and then he does nothing, but he helps his friend, what the fuck? <laughs> I pretty much summed that whole paragraph you just read into what the fuck <laughs> and you know i mean it's crazy but i mean amaranth is at least smart enough to say fine i'll spare him but you get to whip him 20 times with the whip but he is a fairy he will heal it sounds shitty but he will heal and you know resan just keeps going on and he's like so who knows? You know, you, you Lucian could, could come. Or, you know, it's possible that the fever you have going on here is the infection that's starting to kick in that's going to kill you because you know what? You're dying and you know it. Yeah, apparently he like crouches down right in front of her and he's like, you're dying. And I'm like, this is the best villain-like monologue we've gotten in this whole book, and I don't think he's even the main villain. <laughs> no, I would, I would say that's Amarantha, but hey, what do I, I know. Oh, I know, but, I she's, know. but his lines are so much better. <laughs> they are. They really are. I mean, Reese does, um, he has some great zingers. 
And her response to this is go to hell. And I'm like, oh my God, really? 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 Yeah. Okay. Some, somewhere about this time we get exhibit B because her internal monologue does this thing <laughs> where uh, exhibit B, and I quote, he stopped pacing and stared at me. Though the world spun and danced in my vision, something primal inside of me went still and cold beneath that gaze. Well, friends, some would call that fear. I call that way into some man's eyeballs for a girl who's dying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway, again, just take that in the back of your head because now we got exhibit B. <laughs> and he does... <laughs> He does fuck with her, which is kind of mean. He literally grabs the bone sticking out of her arm and twists it, like basically causing her to like almost pass out from pain. I yep. just think about that. I'm like, ugh. Rude. And his response is to laugh at her. Dude, you're not right. I'm sorry. <laughs> you're so not right in the head. Yeah, I actually think I have a note where he does that in another chapter where I'm like, is this like, is this like a thing with you? <laughs> well, his, his current track record up to this point certainly doesn't lead us to believe that he's, he's, yeah, anyway. So he's like, look, this is my last time I'm going to say this. Once I leave. This offer is no longer valid in any way, shape, or form. Again, Hades Persephone. And he's like, you're going to probably be, you know, dead before anything else happens. And he literally started to fade into the darkness. And as he starts to go, all of a sudden, she's like, shit, he's right. So he tells her, she tells him, stop! Well, and she says in her head, for Tamlin, I would sell my soul. I would give up everything I had to free him. I know. Sweet girl. Yeah. So I guess this is all she's got. (laughs) Again, wait for the playlist, boys and girls. Wait for the playlist. It's coming. And she's like, Resan stops and he's like, yeah. And she's like, two weeks and he's like two and she's like and she's like what are going to be the terms she's having a hard time because mind you she's sick and she's dizzy and not doing well and she's like okay she's like she looks up at him and she's like decide she's going to negotiate which I don't know how bright this is but you know whatever She's oh, like, I think it's hysterically brilliant. It is. It is. It's like a bad badger. And she's doing the whole five days. And Resan comes back and he's like, 10. Because remember, we started out at 14. So we go 14 to 5, 10. And she's finally like, a week. One week, seven days. Resand is like, it's a deal. And as he says, as, as she agrees that it is a deal, a metallic taste fills her mouth as the magic stirs between them. And he literally grabs her hand, grabs her arm. It's super quick, super painful. 
but he heals her. And as soon as she's done, Reese is in there, he's looking at her. And he's just grinning like an idiot. And, I mean, he cleaned her. He did everything. He did the magic bath. I was going to say, I thought that was a nice touch. Because I guess she passes out from the pain. And when she wakes up, she realizes she's not only healed, but she's clean. And I was like, that's that's a nice addition. I'm sure she appreciates that. Exactly. He gave her a magic bath. (laughs) Here, let me just snap my fingers and everything's gone. You're clean. And she lifts her left arm to look at it because this is where the, the boo-boo was. And she's like, wait, what have you done to me? And he's like, it's custom in my court for all bargains to be permanently marked upon the flesh. She has a tattoo on her arm from her elbow all the way down to her fingertips. They go through this and she's like, you didn't tell me this would happen. He's like, didn't ask how can I be to blame? And then Reese decides he's going to wait to share this fabulous little news with Tamlin because he knows it's going to piss Tamlin off. And, he's and he, just even, like, he even points out that's the only reason Favor really cares at this moment is because she's realizing there's now a visible like show of this deal and Tamlin's going to know about it. Exactly. And he's just like, rest up. And he disappears. And that's literally the end of the chapter. And like, what an asshole. But also, she could be dead. So, <laughs> True. I mean, she does make, she, well, she, she could have made worse choices. Well, and she's got this weird little monologue in her head at the end, like right before he tells her to rest up and he leaves, where she's like, freaking out about this deal because she's realizing that like this was basically all a setup just to like piss off Tamlin and she's thinking about how like oh this is more about to piss him off than to save me or whatever and I'm like I'm sorry but that's a load of BS because (laughs) well right and Tamlin's basically been this world's stupidest lap dog this whole time up to this point because he has given no no reaction whatsoever so I don't really understand why she thinks that even Reese believes that this would get a reaction if nothing else has. Exactly. I mean, I mean it doesn't can. hurt. He likes to be an asshole, so why not? But at the end of the day, clearly he also saved her for reasons. <laughs> so, Kelsey, I'm going to hand the reins over to you now. Ooh, boy. <laughs> Have some fun, because we've had one trial and a crazy-ass bargain and a near-death experience. She's doing well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and now we're on, uh, you know, chapter 38, and um, it's, it's, whoop, it's my turn to dive into what I call the post-deal weirdness. <laughs> so just heads up, next three chapters, we are in for some of my favorite parts of this book, but they're my favorite because they're wild. <laughs> like, they are just so far away from where we started this book. <laughs> it's a crazy ride. Remember that roller coaster, people? I told you to buckle up. And Here come yes. from those corkscrew turns. Exactly. This is the point in the first read through of this book where I was like, oh my God. We are not in Kansas anymore. So just, uh, you know, tuck our hands and arms inside the vehicle because this is about to take off in a wild way. So 
our girl is trying to not look or think about her tattoo or her deal situation because anytime she does, she looks at it and she's looking at the tattoo and part of the tattoo is on her hand and on the palm of her hand is an eye and she keeps finding herself just staring at this eye and feeling like she's being watched. So that's uncomfortable. That's I. <laughs> And luckily she didn't have a lot of time to think about this before she's called to do her first stupid side quest, as I call it. So Amarantha, remember, she was like, oh, you know, Feyre, you're going to have to earn your keep. So I'm going to give you some stupid ass housework to do between your trials because you got to do something for 27 out of 28 days a month. And so uh, she gets picked up and taken and she's going to scrub the floor. You know, if you've ever cleaned a dirty floor, you know that the water gets dirty pretty quick. Yeah, well, they only give her one bucket, and the more she scrubs, the dirtier the water gets, making the floor worse, not better, which is bad because the goons who dropped her off said that if she doesn't have the floor shining by supper, they'll tie her to a spit over the fire. So mm, Roasted Farah. Yeah, so that's no bueno. So getting panicked, you know, as we all would, she pretty much is just like chatting herself up in her head about how this is a completely impossible task and eventually just loses all hope over this ridiculous situation and literally throws her brush and is just leaning back on the wall with her face in her hands and as she lowers her hands she's looking at the eye realizing that she had it pressed up against her face which just makes her feel icky <laughs> she's like oh i swear it's watching me <laughs> um which I point out only matters if you really think you're being watched, but the jury is still out on that, so this could all be in her head. <laughs> but trying to calm herself down, she takes some steady deep breaths and tries to think of a better mopping strategy. But then her thoughts like digress and she ends up thinking about how she's going to end up on a spit over the fire and how, you know, from there it just spirals into thinking about the marks all over Claire's body and wondering how she was tortured and what kind of torture she endured. Was she ever put over a fire spit? You know, it's a whole thing. And her thought train here is only broken because a redhead enters and it's not Lucian. <laughs> but an what? older, yeah, there are more, there's more than one redhead. Um, this time it's an older woman the lady of the autumn court, she realizes. So she bows her head and then this woman speaks. Forgiving her your name in place of my son's life. And she points at the bucket and magically the water is clean again. My debt is paid, is all she says. <laughs> Which I love. Short, sweet, to the point. <laughs> yeah. And then she disappears. Exactly. And then she's gone again. Anyway... Thanks to the Lady of the Autumn Court, Feyre is now able to finish the floor, and there is no Feyre roast tonight. Basically, the description we get from the goons is servant spill. It's not even like proper English. It's like monkey speak. <laughs> servant spilled lentils in the ash. <laughs> Clean it up before the occupant returns, or he'll peel your skin off in strips which I have a horrible fear of thanks to a certain episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer where a nasty creature tries to peel off Willow's skin. And every time she thinks she has them all, she sees another. And so she starts to panic, noting that every tick of the clock on the mantle became a death knell, every footstep outside the door causing me to reach for the iron poker. Well, you know, fair. 
So suddenly she hears the lock click. So she grabs that poker and is hiding it behind her back thinking, you know, she might as well try to defend herself. Who knows who the hell's coming in here. But then darkness enters the room, settling (laughs) on the bed before taking a familiar form. (laughs) But the next day, (laughs) same stupid guards come back and take her to her next stupid side quest. Uh, because Sarah J. Mass does what she does, you know, does what she wants, we now get the uh, Cinderella task. <laughs> She's like, I know we were doing Beauty and the Beast, but we're going to do a Cinderella scene. <laughs> and then a voice. As wonderful as it is to see you, Favor Darling, do I... I <laughs> as wonderful as it is to see you, Favor Darling, do I want to know why you're digging through my fireplace? <laughs> um... It's recent, friends. <laughs> yes, he's back. <laughs> he's back. Uh, and so she explains her idiotic task and asks, do I have you to thank for this idea? To which we learn, actually, no, he didn't have anything to do with this. He hasn't even told anyone about the bargain. She points to the fireplace and asks him, is this clean enough for your liking? You know, still thinking he has something to do with this. And he just asks, why are there lentils in my fireplace to begin with? Exactly. <laughs> Which, you know, fair point. So at this point, Favor's like, you know, Amarantha and her cronies, duh. And so he says, apparently she or her cronies think I'll find some sport with you. But then Favor points out that maybe this is a test for him. Because if you recall... Yeah, you know, she says, you, you said you bet on me during my first task. She didn't seem pleased about it. You know, Amarantha no likey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then also, Farrah points out, you lied to her about Claire. You knew very well what I looked like. And, and then we get exhibit C, which is like one of these other descriptions that like doesn't really matter, but it just really makes me wonder how Favor's mind works because she's in the middle of this pretty heated conversation about now it's your fault, now it's my fault, now it's your fault, whatever, right? And um, <laughs> then we just stop in the middle of this thought process so that we can take in his movements, which is apparently how he very fluidly sits up and braces his forearms on his thighs. Like, okay, <laughs> whatever, Farah. <laughs> Back to the point. <laughs> She's really fascinated with him and his body movement. She really is. And that is why that is exhibit C, because what? <laughs> anyway, he tells us Amarantha plays her games and I play mine. It gets rather boring down here day after day. To which Farah points out that he was let out on fire night. And to let place the head out on the spring court. So, I mean, obviously he's not here every day. <laughs> to which we get the reply, she asked me to put the head in the garden. And as for fire night, I had my reasons to be out then. Do not think, Farah, that it did not cost me. Okay. <laughs> Sorry to make it all serious. Well, considering we've seen what a prize Amarantha is, I can only imagine what the cost was. Exactly. So, guess we don't want to know that. And uh, so, you know, right about now, we as the reader and Favor too are starting to see that, if nothing else, Reese is a man with a plan. Yeah. Thank we don't goodness. know. Somebody has one. Exactly. We don't know what kind of plan, but he sure ain't stupid. 
No. Thank God. Somebody's not. And on that note, he basically tells her to put the fire poker down or start swinging because she thinks she's stealthy and she ain't. (laughs) (laughs) As Kim has liked to point out in earlier episodes, she's human. They can sense Why does she think she's going to get away with this stuff? (laughs) You know, I mean, we've been able to prove that the fair are smarter stronger faster their senses are five times or more enhanced than a human's how is a human gonna out stealth or outsmart a fae i don't know but she keeps trying and it's cute (laughs) it is but because we're probably enjoying not being in our cell we decide instead of you know letting any of this go we're just gonna keep asking more questions (laughs) and to our amazement he's answering them true so she asks how he retains so much of his power and we learn from him that the power he possesses right now is in fact only a fraction of what he used to have and this is only important because she actually says in one of her internal monologues a couple chapters back uh, i think it's when he's got his you know talons into lucian's mind there she says you know man if this is you know i, I Amarantha must let him have more power than she lets the other High Lords have because if this is considered only a fraction of his power, dear God, (laughs) what was he like before? And so we find out that the terrifying answer is this is just a fraction of his power. Kind of creepy, huh? Yeah. But he points out that different High Lords have different strengths anyway. And so Tamlin's is shape-shifting and his own is, you know, whatever the hell it is he does with people's heads. <laughs> whatever that dark, creepy power. thing he does, that. He does that. And he's got a lot of it. So she asks if that means Tamlin's the only one who can shapeshift. And he answers that no. <laughs> and then he gives her a glimpse of his shapeshifting abilities where he replaces his fingers and toes with talons and partially shifts into some kind of creature with wings. So, yeah. Mm. Fly birdie fly. (laughs) I'm not even going to try to describe this because we get a beautiful and amazing description from Sarah J. Mass, so I'm just going to read that. Indeed, it was Resen's face, his powerful male body, but flaring out behind him were massive, black, membranous wings, like a bat's, like the adder's. He tucked them in neatly behind him, but the single claw at the apex of each peak of each peeked over his broad shoulders. Horrific, stunning, the face of a thousand nightmares and dreams. That again useless part of me stirred at the sign that the way the candlelight shone through the wings, illuminating the veins, the way it bounced off his talons. And what I just love about this description is one it really paints the world and we see what she sees but two it reminds us that Farah is an artist and has the eye of an artist because she notices every little thing about this guy she's noticing every little weird way that the light bounces off of him off the texture of the wings all these things so i mean you gotta admit girl's got a good eye i'm wow yeah But he basically just, with a roll of his neck, makes it all disappear again. 
And so he teases her, How saying, creepy, man. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and so he's teasing her, basically saying, you know, he expected her to, you know, flatter him about it. And she's like, nope. <laughs> But then we get, mm. what am I on? Exhibit, what, how many, where am I? Uh, oh, well, I guess, yeah, I guess I'm on E, really, because our weird description that we just got a moment ago where, uh, don't forget, friends, she said that he's horrific and stunning, the face of a thousand nightmares and dreams. That would be Exhibit D. So Exhibit E puts <clears throat> out a low laugh that slid along my bones, warming my blood. I can't decide whether I should consider you admirable or very stupid for being so bold with a high lord. Only around him did I have trouble keeping my mouth shut, it seemed. So I dared to ask, do you know the answer to the riddle? What the heck in heck? Why is she so like this <laughs> around him? <laughs> because uh, we sat in the spring court for how many weeks and couldn't get her to ask the questions we wanted answers to? Right. Now she's suddenly, like, asking them? Yes, now not only is she asking them, but she's noting exactly the way that when he speaks, it makes her feel on her insides. But anyway, I digress, Exhibit E, friends. <sighs> Sorry, the whole feels on her insides. <laughs> makes me laugh like a little boy or a little girl. I don't it's know. okay. <laughs> Why not? We'll roll with it. So she's asked, do you know the answer to the riddle? And he says it doesn't matter if he does because Amarantha ordered everyone not to help her. And it's not like he can just not listen because he points out that the type of power she has over them would basically mean that if she told them to stop breathing, they would. Which is wild. Maybe. Yeah, totally nuts. So instead, he snaps his fingers and all of the dirt and soot all over her is gone. And he says, there. A gift for having the balls to even ask. And again, Sarah J. Mass with the balls lines, what is this? Because we had one of those earlier where Lucia was like, I like your balls, favorite. Like, what? Every time it just feels so out of place, like I'm at a frat party, but oh well. So essentially, Reese calls in the goons to take her back, telling them that she's finished her task. But just as they go to grab her, he stops them, smiling or more, baring his teeth at them. He tells them that Feyre is to do no more chores and clearly he's doing some sort of mind control thing because these goons just go slack jawed <laughs> and he <Ooh>. finishes, <laughs> yeah, right. And he finishes with stay out of her cell and don't touch her. If you do, you're to take your own daggers and gut yourselves. Understood? And they do because without touching her, they simply lead her out of the room. And yeah, and he just smiles as she's leaving and purrs a you're welcome at her. And at chapter 38. She's really bad at saying thank you. I mean, she really is. I'm just saying, I want to point out we're at the end of chapter 38. We're only a handful of, like, we're not done with this episode yet, but I got exhibits A through E here. <laughs> In one <All> chapter? <laughs> Well, no, no, to be fair, this one was, uh, oh. what, C through E? I had A yeah. and B in one of your chapters, but yeah, I have exhibits A through E here, all pointing to the fact that Farah, who should have her mind on a lot of other things, cannot stop staring at this man. And, you know, like I said back in, like, what, episode two, it's not like it really matters, but it just makes me laugh because we barely get a he's handsome about the love of her life, but this guy... Most beautiful man she's ever seen. We can't stop with the descriptions. 
Makes you wonder. All right. We've made it to chapter 39. And <sighs> we're about <sighs> to be on this chapter for a week. <laughs> <laughs> Not really, but... <laughs> well, Kim and I have been talking about this chapter for basically a week. <laughs> Actually, we've been talking about this chapter off and on now since February. <laughs> oh, it's because I have a lot of feelings. <laughs> Just a few. Kim's like, brace yourselves, friends. <laughs> buckle up. She's like, buckle up. Kelsey's about to go off the rails on this one. It's okay. It's okay. I still um, love you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so this chapter starts off with Feyre now eating a hot meal for breakfast because apparently Reese made sure that she gets those now. <laughs> At regular intervals, no less. What a guy. <laughs> He's the but, bad guy, though, remember? Right. But I guess a hot meal isn't much compared to the rest of what she's experiencing, because a few days have now gone by since she played Cinderella, and she's been alone in her cell, and all she hears all day and night is screaming from the dungeons. And when she can't take it anymore, she just stares at the eye tattoo on her hand. <laughs> and she like wonders, that's gonna do something right well it just drives her crazy because she says she wonders if this is like reese's weird way of like reminding her that like the whole jurian thing and jurian's consciousness consciousness being like tied to that awful ring of amaranthas and i just True. okay but also like why would she think that <laughs> i'm not super sure <sighs> Remember, she's not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Just seems like a stretch to me. But anyway, she does say that sometimes she finds herself talking to the tattoo, which seems to make her feel better. I'll bite a little bit foolish, apparently, too. But I don't know. I think in that situation, I'd have been talking to the walls, so I can't really say anything. But anyway, she says that she talks to the tattoo, and she swears she saw it blink one time. <laughs> which like poor girl i mean good god but anyway one evening she's in her cell and dark clouds enter through the cracks of her door but instead of materializing into reese which is what she expects it seems to be two female fairies who are like shadows yeah they never like really but fully materialized so she's like kind of confused I but they like press in closely to her and like each take her by an elbow and literally walk her through the closed door. And Feyre is totally confused by this, but notices that none of the guards seem to look at them. So she realizes they must be glamored. Well, you know, I mean, that's kind of a cool trick. I want that trick. I'm going to walk mean, doors. Right. Anyway, the fairies take her to a room where they basically strip her, bathe her and dress her. But before dressing her, they paint her. Mm -hmm. Which with no, like they do this with no explanation. And that has to be uncomfortable. And I cold. feel for, yeah, it, that's what she says. She says it's like super cold and like uncomfortable, especially because they're like painting everything. 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 And so like I feel for her, I truly do. And I mean, I'd be upset and terrified too. Absolutely. However- for argument's sake, 
because I've seen people start to like lose their minds right about now. <laughs> I'd like to point out that a very similar thing happens in the first Hunger Games book and movie mm -hmm. to Katniss, where they're like bathing her and waxing her legs and who knows what all. And I'm just pointing this out because we've seen this before. Mm -hmm. And this mm -hmm. chapter starting here starts to get to a lot of people and it upsets them. But I just want to point out that this is by no means the first time we've seen a plot like this. And I don't remember nope. people losing their minds over the Hunger Games. Nope. So. Just Dystopian versus fantasy? I don't see how that would make a difference because really the dystopian well the dystopian is still a fantasy well it's right fantasy and trope. the hunger games was geared towards teenagers so to me that would be more concerning <laughs> keep thinking in my head was arguably this is also just a darker version of the scene from the princess diaries where they like pluck her eyebrows change her hair and make her a new person Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Now that's an interesting twist. I hadn't even gone there. I mean, I'm just saying we've seen this a thousand times. This is you really know, just not that new. Our point <laughs> is just that we've seen this before and I understand that like they're all up in her grill and she's uncomfortable. But to our knowledge, at no point does she really tell them not to be doing this. And also there's a plot point to this and we'll get there. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So anyway, they paint her up and then they dress her and we get this description from Farah that I just think like really explains it all. From the neck up, I was regal. My face was adorned with cosmetics, rouge on my lips, a smearing of gold dust on my eyelids, coal lining my eyes, and my hair was coiled around a small golden diadem embedded with lapis lazuli, which like, just look that up, that stuff's pretty. Uh, mm -hmm. But from the neck down, I was a heathen god's plaything. They, <laughs> they had continued the pattern of the tattoo on my arm. And once the blue black paint had dried, they placed on me a gauzy white dress. And like, this dress, friends, is apparently like three strips of fabric. <laughs> anyway, the point is people were seeing like between the boob, side boob, back. <laughs> thighs we're seeing the whole bit <laughs> we just don't see the front of her hoo-ha yeah basically her and, ass and, and her boobies yeah exactly the front yeah yeah so, <laughs> so, not that it's hidden in the fabric by the way i was gonna say not that it matters i'm pretty sure we pretty much see everything but anyway <laughs> she is gauzy yeah she tries to demand a different outfit and our little ghosty girls don't really respond. <laughs> ghosty girls. <laughs> so she tries, she tries to rip this one off and uh, the two ghosty girls show up and like hold her arms down and then Reese appears in the doorway. And, you know, Feyre being Feyre basically says, screw you, our bargain hasn't started yet. And Reese says he needed an escort for the party. And why not use this as an excuse to get her out of her cell? And I mean, especially if it pisses off Tam in the process. <laughs> and, uh, but then he says something. He says, you look just as I hoped you would. Which sets off like alarm bells in Farrah's head because she's remembering a similar time that Tam made a similar remark. 
And so she gets all out of sorts and she gestures to all the body paint, kind of like, is this necessary? And Reese explains, of course, how would I, how else would I know if anyone touches you? And he explains that the dress itself won't mar it and neither will your movements. And I'll remember precisely where my hands have been. But if anyone else touches you, let's say a certain high Lord who enjoys springtime, I'll know. <laughs> All right, then. <laughs> and then, because that wasn't weird enough, he flicks her nose. <laughs> well, it's better than her nipple. <laughs> well, fair. You know what? Yeah. So, friends, if you're feeling uncomfortable in this chapter, just remember, Kim would have written it much worse. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm fair point. Of the dress. I'm kind of expecting it. I mean, you're not totally wrong. So, you're right. You know what? It's really funny because I guess you and I just have, like, really low standards. So, the fact that he didn't do that, we're like, this is fine. Um <laughs> She's talking about how cold she is. I'm sure she's standing at full attention. You, you know, know it, where's the lie? <laughs> uh, but he don't do that. He flicks her nose, which cracks me up. And then he says... That's kind of cute. That gets the cute point. Well, and then he says what I find to be both perfect, a perfect statement and creepy statement all at the same time. <laughs> he says, and Farah, I don't like my belongings tampered with. And, like, I say creepy because if this was a guy at a college bar and, like, he says this to you, girl, you should run. Yeah. Or kick him in the balls, one or the other. Get the hell out of there. But in a fantasy novel, and we know that's all why we're here, like, we love when fantastical characters say shit like this. So that's why it's like a perfect line. Creepy if it were to happen in real life. I Don't get me wrong. I could see that. But in this moment, flicking her nose and saying that, I'm kind of okay with this. <laughs> I'm down with it, man. Sign me up. So he leads her out of the room and they head through the halls of the throne and, you know, to the throne room. And she's realizing how much she doesn't want to be there. <laughs> Though mm. I'd like to point out the alternative is 28-ish days of no human contact in a dark cell. Uh, It's not comfortable, warm, or dry. Right. And at least now she has the advantage of seeing the throne room and some of its occupants before her next trial, which personally I would assume can only be an advantage. Like Lucian or Tam. Yeah. Like, at least now she gets to go see and, like, yeah, look, Tam's alive, you know? I mean, I'm just saying, I don't know. To me, I thought this was weird that she's, like, super adamant that, like, she doesn't think she really wants to be there. I'm like, girl, is this really worse than talking to your tattoos by yourself? (laughs) There's that. Anyway, so they enter, and she realizes that the fairies are all staring at them, and she notes kind of like how they enter like they're being gawked at and like she can like hear them all talking and stuff but she says that Rhysand didn't touch me and he walked close enough for it to be obvious that I was with him that I belonged to him I wouldn't have been surprised if he attached a collar and leash around my neck (sighs) all right first of all okay first off he ain't Jabba the Hutt he don't need to leash you my friend (laughs) we asked him that you can kill somebody that way (laughs) God, man, like, what the, what? 
Second, like I said, your options are basically appear to like, okay, like let's think, think about this. Your options are basically appear to be with him or get whisked away by Lucian's horrid brothers. Yeah. Who are mm. like eyeballing you. Like that's not creepy as fuck. I think we should just stick close to reason because as you pointed out, he's not touching you. It could be worse. And can I just point out something that, you know, you just brought up? <laughs> Please do. <laughs> you know, it takes us back to a comment made earlier by a friend of ours. The Surreal. <laughs> <laughs> Stay close to the High Lord. <laughs> <laughs> you know, fair. This may not be the High Lord we want, but right now this is the High Lord we got. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> maybe it's not a bad piece of advice yeah you know what maybe the answer maybe the cereal was like i specifically didn't tell you which high lord i said any high lord find one stay close so anyway the point is from my point of view he's doing the best he can to like walk a line here where like is her outfit trashy yup does it probably make her fit in and make a statement that she's supposedly his plaything? so don't touch her yup does it ultimately keep her safe and out of the cell at the same time Yup. <laughs> so <laughs> I get it. She's irritated. I feel you. But let's not squander this moment for what it is, which is a chance for you to get some intel. Extra bonus? Does it piss off Tamlin? Yup. I mean, that works for him. I'm just saying for her, like, she's safe, she's out of her cell, and she can pick up some intel while she's out. I mean, I know. I'm just saying. So anyway, they enter, and Amarantha, less than amused, uh, puts on her, you know, smiley face that doesn't really fly, and says, what have you done with my captive? And Farrah notices Tamlin trying to keep a straight face, but at least for once, he's doing a little bit of something. He's apparently white-knuckle gripping the throne. Trying not to freak the fuck out. Yeah. So, um... I don't know. I don't get this because while I get not wanting to give Am Amaranth like too much information, I don't really see how doing absolutely nothing is helping. Yeah, like I said, he's like the world's weirdest lapdog to Amarantha right now. Yes. But anyway, yes. Reese explains to Amarantha and really to Tamlin that he and Farah have made a bargain. And he literally like is like standing behind her, like stroking her cheek to make this super hella awkward. And <laughs> he explains that she will reside with him for one week each month for the rest of her life. And this message, y'all, this is a message. A message to Tam that he'll do whatever he has to to get a rise out of him. And a message to Amarantha that he's implying bitch could win this thing. Yep. Yep. Anyway, but luckily we, from, we find out that, like, I'm not the only one picking up on this. <laughs> Fair's nope. internal monologue is finally going ding, 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 ding. Because she's saying for the rest of her, for the rest of her life, he said it as if it was going to be a long, long while. He thought I was going to beat her tasks. I stared at his profile, at the elegant nose and sensuous lips. What are we on? Exhibit F. Um. <laughs> no. G? H? And he thought I was um. going to beat her tasks. I stared at his profile, an elegant nose and sensuous lips. Games. Reason liked to play games. And it seemed I was now to be a key player in whatever this one was. Human chess okay. match. 
right? <laughs> well, That's my you. game for it. <laughs> Amarantha, annoyed, I can only assume, tells them to, <laughs> yeah, just a little bit, tells them to enjoy the party. And Reese leads Fair off uh, away from the thrones and towards the food tables, which, you know, <laughs> me too. That's where I want to be too. Uh, exactly. <laughs> but now, now friends, we have to discuss this scene. And I will try to keep it brief. But I have feelings, and it's not feelings that other people seem to have. <laughs> remember, remember what, what the warning she got from Alice was. So hold on to your hats, and let's just, we're going to try to see what I see. <laughs> Reese offers her wine. Literally, the line is, wine question mark. And Farah now remembers Alice's first rule about not drinking the wine under the mountain. But she doesn't say anything. So he says, drink, you'll need it. And again, in her head, she's remembering Alice's words. But she's not saying anything. And she's reaching for the glass. And then she says, no. And then all he says is drink, period. And in her own words, in her own mind, she acknowledges that she grabs the glass on her own. And next thing we know, she wakes up in her cell the next morning. I'm not going to go into too much of a deep dive here because those who have already read this scene have their own feelings about it. And honestly, like that's valid. (laughs) There are some people who are bothered by this or have their feelings about this one way or another. And like, that's totally cool. We're all, we, we all got feelings, but for some reason there are some people on the internet who like lost their minds at this scene and then just Mm -hmm. stopped reading here. And that's fine. (laughs) But the problem I have is this. The people who stopped reading here and didn't ask any further questions are trying to convince fans to do weird shit like burn their books. I'm not saying this is Reese's shining moment. I'm not saying he's a great dude. What I am saying is, is he did not actually like force her to drink this wine. Nor did he actually roofie it either. No, and he didn't. This is plain, right, exactly. And, you know, I didn't even think about it until you just said that. Maybe that is what some people think because I was like, what are they talking about? Because I was thinking they meant like he physically like made her drink it. And I'm like, I'm not really sure after a person says nothing, 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 and then kind of mutters no, but their hand is out. Him clarifying and saying, you know, yeah, you should drink this. I don't really think it's the same thing as like holding the person down and shoving it down their throat. (laughs) True. And again, I mean, he, he's handing it to her. It's not like there's any description of him doing anything to it. Yes, he has magic, but they never talk about the magic prior to this as, as being used in food or drink in any way. Well, and I don't think it is because like you said, Alice already pointed out that she knew this to be a fact of the wine under there. So like, I don't think this is like his doing, this is just the wine that exists. Basically, what I'm saying is this, and, and we've said this from earlier episodes too. At the end of the day, I'm not, I'm not saying this should fly in the real world. No. What I'm saying this is- the real world. Right. This is a fantasy novel. 
And these people are in life or death situations pretty much 24 seven. And that's different than say a college party where a guy is stomping around demanding that some girl take this Bud Light or drink the jungle juice or whatever. Like it's not the same. And I'm not like, I don't want people to think I think they're the same thing or that, you know, that would be okay. Cause it's not the difference no. is that this is yeah. a fantasy world in fantasy situations. Um, and because in this situation, he's telling her basically the best advice he has is <laughs> shit's about to get ugly. You're going to want this. And she chooses to take it. Exactly. And clearly plus, chooses. Plus we, <laughs> We pointed out earlier, she didn't exactly take Lucian's advice on not drinking the wine at Solstice either. <laughs> so yeah, so I say all of this just because we are about to find out that, like a drunk girl at a party, she did something she doesn't remember. Mm-hmm. But I think the key here in this situation is the details. So let's mm-hmm. take a look at that. So Farrah wakes up with her cell, in her cell practically with no memory other than taking the goblet and now she's hung over all day and dear god i do not envy her and at dinner she's just like picking at her food she can't even really eat and the door creaks open and lucian appears so lucian unclasps his cloak and covers Farrah's shoulders which i think is really sweet and i'm just saying i really like him guys (laughs) he's so sweet he's sweet so he gestures towards the pain on her body and mutters something about Reese being a bastard and Farah notices a few smudges of paint, like a few smudges in the paint, but only at her waist and like on her arms and nowhere else, which she specifically like notes in her head. And she asks Lucian, okay, like what happened? Yeah. And Lucian admits that Reese basically had her dancing for him. And when she wasn't dancing, she was sitting in his lap. (laughs) And as Lucian points out, it's not like the nice, nice dancing she was doing with Tam at Solstice. No, she was doing some dirty dancing. Yeah. And Farrah now sort of remembers this. But she notes in her head, and I think this description matters because she, I don't know how to put it. I think this description matters because it proves that even though she's having a hard time remembering now, and even though nobody, for nobody was this a shining moment, um, she wasn't scared. Okay. Because she says that from the murkiness of her memories, I recalled the closeness of a certain pair of violet eyes eyes that sparkled with mischief mischief as they beheld me. So like she's now remembering this moment a little bit and mm-hmm. she doesn't she's probably not thrilled with what she's done, but she clearly in the moment wasn't, you know, she wasn't like being harassed, she wasn't terrified. Right. She was just drunk and essentially having a good time. And so okay. Uh, so yeah, so here's the rub. Is letting the drunk girl give you a lap dance messed up? Sure. <laughs> but um, we know a few things here. We know that he didn't touch her anywhere but her waist, which is probably to keep her standing upright. And yep. we know that it means he was keeping an eye on her the whole night, which means no one else touched her either. Exactly. 
And we also know that she took the wine willingly. And moreover, we aren't surprised because even, <laughs> even Lucian just says it for what it is, which was, yeah, this was basically, you were drunk and this was Reese trying to get a rise out of Tam. Mm-hmm. Nothing also, untoward happened. Also, I'm just saying, Sarah J. Mass does this great little thing she does where she brings stuff back. Uh, don't yeah. we remember a certain other High Lord literally commanding her to dance at a certain party after she was drunk on fairy wine? Yep. That would be Midsummer. Yeah. Wasn't his exact demand dance, period? So, yeah, I mean, yeah. to be fair, we've been here and seen this tree. So, moving on before we have a whole podcast about this one chapter. <laughs> Lucian berates Farah for making this deal with someone like Reese, and she reminds him that she was literally dying, and she points out, how was I supposed to know you'd come? That you'd even understood how quickly humans can die of that sort of thing. You told right. me that you hesitated with the Naga. And I'm mm -hmm. like, oh, burn. <laughs> And she goes on to say that he's asking too much of her to trust him after everything that they've been through at the spring court. And then he says a line I love. He says, you offered up your name for me after all that I said to you, all I did, you still offered up your name. Didn't you realize I would help you after that? Oath or no oath. And I love it because I swear it plays into what I've been saying this whole time, which is we could have a spring court love triangle if we wanted it. But anyway. Yes. I really do think so. But anyway, we don't dwell here because then she explains that she had no other choice and they argue about how terrible Reese is for a moment and she just finally points out that like it's over and done with and there's nothing he can do so he should let it go. And mm -hmm. we have this nice moment where Lucian says, I'm glad to see you didn't sell your lively human spirit or stubbornness to Reese. And he gets, <laughs> he gets ready to head back out and she tells him, you know, they're finally kind of like on the same page. And she tells him, I'm sorry that she still punished you for helping me during my task. I heard that she made Tam what she made Tamlin do to you. Thank you for helping me. And then mm -hmm. he admits that he's actually, like, this is why he's actually upset. He says, she used her, used our powers to keep my back from healing. I haven't been able to move until today. Oh, so that's goodness. why he's really upset is because he knows that she had to take that deal. Knows she'd be dead if she didn't. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he, he knows he couldn't have come even if he wanted to. And I think like that breaks his heart a little bit. I think yeah. he feels a certain amount of guilt about the fact that he couldn't step up and fix this. So Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm just saying he's a, he's a nice guy. But anyway, before he leaves... <laughs> She asks him, is he all right? I mean, that spell Amarantha has him under to make him so silent. And Lucian says, guys, I wish you could see my face. And <laughs> yeah, both of us, we're like. Lucian says, there's no spell. Hasn't it occurred to you that Tamlin is keeping quiet to avoid telling Amarantha which form of your torture affects him the most? She thinks, no, it hadn't. And of course it hadn't because that is stupid. Exactly. <sighs> Notice how it's which form of her torture would affect him most? Not her. Yeah. 
Yeah. <sighs> I'm sorry, but that line is probably supposed to be cute and it just pisses me off so much. <laughs> it is annoying. I mean, it's very misogynistic. But whatever. This stupid chapter won't end. So <laughs> the next night, Oops, wa washed, painted, and dressed again. <laughs> she goes with Reese again. And the party, next party. night. And the next night. <laughs> it's a party, man. And she notes, thus I became Reese's plaything, the harlot of Amarantha's whore. I woke up with vague shards of memories of dancing between Reese's legs and he sat as he sat in a chair and laughed and his hands stained blued from the places they had touched on my waist, my arms, but somehow never more than that. Okay, again, we're glad that he's, you know, keeping it, you know, above the belt. <laughs> Just want to put into the back of our minds the idea that like, I feel horrible for her because she feels horrible about this. Like, she mm -hmm. now sees herself, and she, she's telling us how she sees herself, which is, you know, the harlot of the whore, which is, like, I feel terrible for her that she feels that way about herself because truly, yeah. she has no reason to feel that way. I agree. I mean. She doesn't. She just really doesn't. I mean, she's, she's trapped in this place. And at the end of the day, if this is the guy who's going to make sure she gets a hot meal, if this is the guy who's going to make sure she, she gets bathed every day, gets out of her cell every day, make sure that Lucian's dumbass brothers don't touch her, I, you know? She doesn't lose her mind. Right. And, right. And that's the thing is, I guess, you know, Kim and I had a long talk about this the other, I guess it was earlier today where we said, at the end of the day, I hate to say it, this is kind of a mental health thing. I mean, it's, it, it doesn't really pan out because she's drunk all the time. So that part, bad. But, like, I think the initial plan of, like, trying to get her out of her cell is a good plan. The problem mm -hmm. is, like Kim and I talked about, you know, even if he, I get it, he may not be the greatest guy in the world. But even if he was the greatest guy in the world, he's trapped in the mountain, too. He can't, like, take her out for coffee. Nope. Like, this is the best he can do. Yeah, there is no Starbucks under the mountain. <laughs> right. So I feel terrible that she feels so terrible about this. I wish she could kind of see it for the advantage that it is. That she, until she agreed to these things, was stuck in her cell all the time in the cold and the damp and the dark. She was seeing no one, no human contact. She was getting right. literally moldy bread and water. The point is, is like, I'm not saying he's, you know, freaking an angel here but i feel bad that she can't at least find some relief in the fact that she doesn't spend 28 straight days in a cell in the dark but i digress right. <laughs> um <laughs> i've been through like four bullet points dancing and drinking and drinking and dancing mm -hmm. Excuse me. It's okay. Oh, um, my last thought on this is just that we keep, <laughs> we have to keep in mind <laughs> that we've been told he likes to play games. And as far as we know, his games are really a larger plan. Mm -hmm. We just don't know what that plan is yet. And I think nope. we do the book and the characters a disservice if we don't acknowledge that these aren't just games. We may call them games. But yep. it's a bigger plan here. Yep. I agree. 
But anyway, point is that she's dancing each night, waking up exhausted each day, <laughs> over and over. And she knows to herself that she she's only exercise. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> she notes that the only kind of upside is that every day, she says, when I again entered the throne room, I was allowed only a glimpse of Tamlin before the drug of the wine took hold. But every time, every night, just for one glance, I didn't hide the love and pain that welled in my eyes when they met his. And it's just so, like, tragically beautiful. Yep. Because she's doing this all for Tamlin. <laughs> all of this. The stupid-ass wine, the stupid-ass dress, <laughs> killing the worm. She's doing it all for him. And honestly... Well, he's sitting there doing nothing like a bump on a log. But honestly, I hadn't thought about this until I read it this time. Is it possible, just slightly possible, that this moment she gets every day to see Tamlin for two seconds is why Reese brings her up to the throne room each night? Because mm -hmm. think about it. We know he expects her, wants her, and for some reason needs her to win all three of these trials. Exactly. Don't you think her drive to win would take a nosedive if she didn't have a daily reminder of why she's doing this? I agree. No. Like, don't it, we think if she spent 28 days in silence with moldy bread in the dark, she'd come out a crazed woman? <laughs> so I'm little just saying, on the loony side? I'm just saying, I think this is all part of a bigger plan. And I hadn't even caught that until I read it this time through. And I was like, wait a minute. Is this actually, is this moment where she remembers why she's doing this? Is this what he's trying to get her to remember? So just a thought. <laughs> I, I mean, it, you know, it makes sense. I, the thought has crossed my mind before. One night while getting painted and dressed, Reese enters and announces to Farah that her second trial is to be tomorrow night. And she's trying to play it cool. So she's just like, so, and he says, it could be your last. To which she basically just says, like, I'm not trying to play your games, dude. And he says, aren't you going to beg me to give you a night with your beloved? And she has a killer response. She says, I'll have that night and all the ones after when I beat her final task. <laughs> There's the sassy pharaoh we know and love. Yeah, <laughs> they're waiting on her. So they keep talking and he jokes about her being all prickly as a captive <laughs> and she says that Tamlin never treated her like one. And he goes off about, well, of course he didn't, not after what his father and brothers did to humans and those captives. And of mm -hmm. course he's, you know, he says that of course he's not going to play the noble beast. But what exactly he says is, but perhaps if he bothered to learn a thing or two about cruelty and what it means to be a true high lord, it would have kept the spring court from falling. And so she retorts, your court fell too. But then she sees, no, feels sadness in his eyes for a second. For just mm -hmm. a split second, she feels it and she looks at the tattoo mm -hmm. in her palm. Mm -hmm. So she asks, when you were roaming freely on Fire Night at the right, you said it cost you. Were you one of the High Lords that sold allegiance to Amarantha in exchange for not being forced to live down here? Which, 
I don't really understand the point of this question because we do know he's been under the fucking mountain for 49 years. So if and by down here, like, yeah, right. Like the, I guess she means down in the dungeon. I don't know what she means. Cause I was like, what do you mean? No, clearly the answer is no, that did not work out. He's been there the whole freaking time. He's been, he, they call him Amarantha's whore. Right. I, okay. You know, and I made a note about this because I said, I don't know why I feel like we all act like he picked that. <laughs> we act like he picked that for funsies. No, <laughs> but I digress. <laughs> so Bear asks him what exactly he's been doing down here for 49 years. And they banter for a minute until she asks finally, you know, what do you want with me beyond taunting Tamlin? And so then we get kind of like a piece of juicy information because he says, you know, he, he thir- first he throws her off and just says, you know, well, yeah, I love taunting Tamlin, but basically like, you know, also like, I'm not an idiot. Like, of course I'm going to enjoy the company of a female, <laughs> like been fucking down here for 49 years. <laughs> and she says, you saved my life. And then his juicy piece of info here is, and through your life, I saved Tamlin's. And she asks why, and he doesn't give anything away. He just winks and says, that Farah is the real question, isn't it? Like, Mm. this is actually good intel, even if it doesn't Mm -hmm. seem like it. It proves what I've been saying all along, which is he's got a plan and like it or not, it involves Tamlin ultimately alive. Mm -hmm. Anyway, he takes her to the throne room, but this time it's different. I'm telling you guys, this chapter just never ends. No, it doesn't. It goes on. <laughs> it's time they enter, and Lucian's brothers and all of these people are staring at Reese. And he's summoned by Amarantha, and Farrah notes that Lucian's brothers are now eagerly looking at her. <laughs> And she's like, oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, she she makes some note in her head about like, I'm not above asking Reese not to leave me here. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you poor thing. Um, but she actually, Reese, along. yeah, but Reese actually catches on to this and he doesn't like have her, like he just nudges her along and whispers, just stay close and keep your mouth shut. And so they get to Amarantha's throne and Tamla's sitting there like the wet blanket he is per huge. And <laughs> Reese eyes Farah, basically trying to like mentally tell her, like, stay where you are, like at the edge of the crowd, good, but don't wander away <laughs> that bad. And Farah takes this moment to stare at Tam, hoping to have a moment of eye contact with him. <laughs> But nothing. Uh-uh. Reese approaches and before or Amarantha, you know, comes up upon Amarantha, and before her is a male high fae, the summer lordling, she says, tried to escape through the exit to the spring courtlands. I want to know why. <sighs> well, Farah realizes that a similar looking man standing at the edge of the crowd must be the High Lord of Summer. She vaguely remembers him from her first trial. Right. And she's realizing that this is a new young High Lord. She remembers that his family was one of the ones that had recently 
recently-ish, 40 years ago-ish, been slaughtered due to the uprising. And Mm -hmm. Reese, doing what he's been called out to do, uses his powers to latch into the fairy before Amarantha's mind and reports to Amarantha that he wanted to escape, to get to the spring court, cross the wall, and flee south into human territory. He had no accomplices, no motive beyond his own pathetic cowardice. But Farrah notices something. She notices relief wash over the High Lord of Summer, and she wonders what choice Reese had made just now in that moment. Mm-hmm. What did he learn searching that fairy's mind versus what did, you ju- what did he just say? Yep. Well, you know, Farrah thinks all this, but Amarantha not thinking too hard. <laughs> Tells no, Reese to, she's just like, okay, and tells him to shatter his mind. Well, Reese obliges, curling his fingers into a fist, and the fairy's eyes go wide, glaze over, and then he slumps over, bleeding from his nose and ears. Well, now Amarantha is pissed because she clarifies she wanted his mind shattered, not his brain. And Reese is just like, well, oops. <laughs> and, we should shatter he, him. Yeah, he's like, whatever. And then he turns his back on Amarantha and just starts walking. And Pharaoh's like, oh, crap. (laughs) She just gets in step with him and follows him all the way through the crowd to the back of the room, back to those tables where the food is. And Pharaoh... And the wine. Yes. And Pharaoh, wondering while walking, if anyone besides her and Reese and the High Lord of Summer realize what Reese has done was essentially a mercy killing. Sparing yep. any of those who likely were involved in accomplices and what the fairy was trying to do. Mm-hmm. Once back at that table at the back of the room, Reese hands Pharaoh a goblet of the fairy wine and downs one himself. And after all of that, we are finally at chapter 40. <laughs> just a little bit of time. Woo boy! <laughs> Mostly because we couldn't end it there after I just ranted and raved for, you know, however much time. I mean, now we can't leave you without giving you at least one more Star Wars and Indiana Jones reference. Exactly. So chapter 40, Farah is collected for her second trial. And this time ends up in some other cavern, like smaller than the throne room. And a smug Amarantha asks Farah if she's solved the riddle yet. Well, when she doesn't answer instead of looking, yeah, she doesn't answer and instead spends a minute looking at the dilating pupil of Durian's eye on Amarantha's ring, which, ew. (laughs) Creep factor 100. Yeah, and Amarantha announces, too bad, but I'm feeling generous tonight. How about a little practice? And Farah, ignoring Amarantha for the most part, is looking at Tamlin and their eyes do lock for a minute. Mm-hmm. only to be taken aback by the silence as she realized that everybody is watching them stare at each other. Which pisses oh. off Amarantha. Including the Amarantha notices. Yep. Who just snaps and is like, begin! And with that, the floor starts to lower unexpectedly into a large rectangular pit. Within this pit, there are no doors, no way out, just an iron gate splitting the chamber in two. And through the grate, she sees someone chained to the floor, chained to the floor and it is Lucian. Dude, man. <laughs> he cannot win. Poor man. <laughs> Jesus. Anyway, she hears the fairies making their bets again, and she wonders if Reese will bet on her again or not. 
But looking up, I guess probably to try to determine that, uh, instead she just sees Amarantha and Tamlin and Lucian's brothers, but she notes that there is no sign of Lucian's parents. And Amarantha gets to the point. Simply answer the question by selecting the correct lever and you'll win. Select the wrong one and go to your doom. As there are only three options, I think I gave you an unfair advantage. That is, if you can solve the puzzle in time. And then these giant spikes begin to lower towards the chamber. We've been here before. We've passed this tree. It's the trash compactor scene from Star Wars, or better yet, the Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom scene, where he and Short Round are literally about to be crushed by a ceiling with spikes if Blondie doesn't reach her hand into the bug-infested hole and pull the lever in time. Exactly. But this time, no bugs. Just three levers and a riddle. Too bad bitch can't read. Yeah. And there's no trash compactor either, thank goodness. No, but, you know, same, same, same deal. Lower and ceiling. Yeah. It's just about to get ugly, about to get squishy, squish. But anyway, like I said, I think some of this is for her benefit. And we get a little more of that because in her cell, she's crying and she's crying. And she says in her, you know, internal monologue, I wept for hours for myself, for Tamlin, for the fact that I should be dead and had somehow survived. I cried for everything I'd lost, every injury I'd ever received, every wound, physical or otherwise. I cried for the trivial part of me, once so full of color and light, now hollow and dark and empty. I couldn't stop. And, yup, I've been there. Sometimes you just cannot cr- mm-hmm. crawl out of that hole on your own. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sometimes you just gotta mm-hmm. get it all out all at once. <laughs> but unfortunately, it doesn't help her. <laughs> it doesn't help her <laughs> that her imagination keeps getting the best of her, and she keeps picturing yeah. the second trial over and over and over. And she's just sitting there, like, sobbing with head in her hands, picturing the ceiling coming down on her. But luckily this doesn't last forever because a ripple of darkness moves through her door and Reese is there, reminding her that she's beaten her second task and there's no reason to be crying. But that just makes her cry harder. (laughs) Oh, baby. She's just now like totally hysterics, right? (laughs) Totally crying. Um, which Girlfriend makes been there. Been yeah. there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes there is nothing people can say. and <laughs> Which makes him chuckle a little bit, which is horrible. But I think it's, I think it's a nervous chuckle in a way. <laughs> like, oh, shit, what I just do? <laughs> and so he kneels down in front of her. Guys, <laughs> <laughs> I, <was> like, I can't. <sighs> All right. So <laughs> He kneels down in front of her and grips her hands, pulling them away from her face. And her internal monologue is just beautiful. She says, because you remember, she's having this like reoccurring daydream nightmare. (laughs) Right. And she says, you know, he pulls her hands away and the walls weren't moving and the room was open, gaping, no colors, but shades of darkness of night. Only those star-flecked violet eyes were bright and full of color and light. Mm-hmm. And he smiles at her. <laughs> mm-hmm. Before leaning forward. And she kind of tries to pull away, but he's holding her wrists. And his, <laughs> his mouth touches her cheek. But uh, no, <laughs> not a kiss. He <laughs> licked away her tears. 
<laughs> Ew. Okay, well, the quote is, okay. <laughs> well, the quote is the part where I'm like, all right. <laughs> but yeah, Kim and I are like, what? <laughs> and then Ew. she, internal monologuing, says his, okay, I can't, guys. I'm just, sometimes stuff is so ridiculous, you, like, can't deal. <clears throat> his tongue was hot against my skin so startling that i couldn't move as he licked away another path of salt water and then another my body went taut and loose all at once and i burned even as chills shuddered along my limbs it was only when his tongue danced along the damp edges of my lashes that i jerked back <laughs> well okay then Okay, well, I mean, I find this really uncomfortable, but you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> so, uh, ew. Okay, you know what my problem with this is? Yeah, you know what my problem with this is? I think this falls under the category you and I like to talk about. Looks great for TV. Sounds dumb sounds in words. <laughs> exactly. It does. It just you read it and you're like, um. Yeah, I read the words and I'm like, this is uncomfortable. <laughs> I picture it. Discussed. <laughs> I picture it Earlier. and it's lovely. <laughs> yes. But anyway, uh, like any sane person would, she wipes his spit from her face. <laughs> and <laughs> he smirks and says, I figured that would get you to stop crying. <laughs> Which, you know what? <laughs> I kind of get kind of like in those old movies when someone just like fucking slaps somebody's hysteric straight out of them <laughs> so i see you i see what you did there but she's like well that was gross <laughs> and then he's like but was it <laughs> because i mean he can go in her mind and he can basically feel her feelings through the tattoo and so he's kind of like I think you liked it. <laughs> and mm -hmm. so she's super pissed. And she's like, get out. <laughs> and uh, they kind of joke and fight about this for a moment. But he's all, you know, like, that's the thanks I get. And she's all, want me to kiss your feet for saving my ass during the second trial? And I mean, like, yes, she probably should say thank you. <laughs> she has a hard time saying those two words. Yeah, but I mean, like, in fairness, also, like, he's a lot, so. <laughs> um, particularly when he starts poking fun at her for not being able to read, even going as far as saying, I've been thinking of ways to torment you when you come to my court. I'm wondering, will assigning you to learn to read be as painful as it looked today? <laughs> Before he vanishes through the door. So, I mean, good God, the man's an ass, but... <laughs> Well, you know. But as I suspected, her internal monologue clues us in. And wrapping up this chapter, she tells us readers, it took me a long while to realize that Resan, whether he knew it or not, had effectively kept me from shattering completely. Mm -hmm. See? It's assholery. Assholery with a point! That's right. <laughs> And there, friends, we leave you today with chapters, what the hell did we just do, 35 through 40. <laughs> it's been a traumatic enough ride. We don't even remember our chapters. It feels I mean, like it was a lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> in a way, it was. 
I mean, two two trials, lots yeah. of you know life and death, and yeah, we could have died like bargain. three times. <laughs> We've been through a lot, uh, and before we leave, and even before we get to the playlist, which we'll go through in just a minute. I wanted to point out actually two TikTok shout outs I have. <laughs> <laughs> Yay, TikTok! So uh, we do have a TikTok and I've been uh, creeping around the fandom on TikTok and I found some incredible videos that just crack us up. So, uh, you know, we reached out to a couple of TikTokers and asked if we could share. And so for today's episode, matching what we talked about, I uh, want to give a shout out to at Jude.Greenbrier who has a great video parody of the second trial with the levers. <laughs> she does. It's awesome. I, and we appreciate you letting us do this. So thank you, thank yes, you, thank you. I died. So I told her, you know, I'd love to put it in the show notes. And so we're going to do that. So check it out. It is so funny. And then... It's awesome. <laughs> and then at the ghost... Okay, I'm, I'm going to mess this up. I think it's at the ghost in the attic, but ghost has two Ts. So it could be at the ghost tin the attic. I'm not sure. But we'll link out in the show notes. And she has a great video that pretty much sums up how I feel about the events of all of today's episode. Yes, yes. It's and super again. short. So funny. Go check it out. Again, we're really grateful that when we found it, I said, can we share this? And she said, yes. So <laughs> please go check that out. Like I said, the link will be in the show notes. Um, and as we have more of these, we'll share them. And like I said, um, another thing we wanted to shout out was on Pinterest. We did share um, one of the Texas bullworm <laughs> We did. Among other things, and, and do know that some of our boards are marked as spoilers. So yes. if you haven't read ahead, please know that if you click on that board, you will see a spoiler. Uh, last thing before we let you guys go, we want to talk about the playlist that we've been putting together on Spotify. Again, if you're listening on Spotify, you'll hear clips of these songs at the end of the episode. If you're listening on another platform, we invite you to go make a playlist on Spotify. And mm -hmm. it, these are just some songs that we recommend for chapters, events, and such and such. Kim, what do we have today? <laughs> well, we have some pretty cheeky songs. We actually have quite a few. We have one, seven songs. So bear Woo with me, people. But last time was two and I think the time before that was like two or three so I'm making up for lost time I guess <laughs> so the very first song I have to tell you um yeah we've talked about the fact that we're going to be very cheeky and we are gonna kind of um have fun here so please know this song is meant in all good jest and and truly fun but when we both thought of it at the same you know when we thought of it and we talked about it we both couldn't stop laughing and realize truly what an appropriate song it is. So I beg everyone's forgiveness now. And that song is, it's, it's about Feyre and she's, it's her feelings for Tam during all of this. And why <laughs> is she there? And a big shout out to Mr. Rick Astley and never going to give you up. So yes, you got Rick rolled. We're not trying to do it to be difficult, but if you think about it, it makes so it much works. sense. <laughs> the next song I, we, we have is uh, from the Labyrinth movie soundtrack with David Bowie, who, oh, I love David Bowie. I admit it, when he died, I cried. This is just an instrumental. And, you know, going back, I, and it's 
the music for the goblin battle when they're going through the city um, on their way up to the goblin king's castle. And um, it's for when she is battling the Midgard worm. Um, it's just really appropriate music and it kind of fits with the energy and, and direction. Um, the next song um, comes before Reese <laughs> helps Farah and, and basically, you know, makes the bargain and has her, you know, lets her live. But after the Middengard Worm, and it's I'm With You by Avril Lavigne. The next song is Reese to Farah about the time of the bargain, just before the bargain. And again, it's from, it's a David Bowie song. It's, it's from the Labyrinth soundtrack, and it is As the World Falls Down. Listen to the lyrics. It should make some sense. Um, it's been stuck in my head since she mentioned this earlier. <laughs> sorry. So sorry. It's okay. It's but, on my husband's playlist regularly. <laughs> can I just tell you all, like, growing up, I wanted that ball dress. I wanted that hair. I wanted to look like Jennifer Connelly. I don't want to give anything away, but that dress and that hair kind of show up in book two. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> no. Well, yeah. Yeah. Meringue. Meringue. Okay. <laughs> um, anyway, moving on. The next song is Farah to Tamlin during the trial. So from trial one to trial two and even somewhat into trial three, but more so one and two. It is uh, Keep Holding On by Avril Lavigne. And then... Here's another cheeky moment. Thank you, Kelsey. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I couldn't help it. <laughs> so her whole thing about Reese licking the tears on Farah's face, where she just struggled to get all this out to you all. So she's in the car earlier <laughs> this week. And the song comes on. And it's ludicrous. Yeah. And it's his song, What's Your Fantasy? And I'm just going to do the mic drop there. If you know the song, you know the song. If you don't, go listen to it. If you don't, go listen to it. And you only got to get through the first full line. I mean, you got to get through some like random like noises and yeah, huhs. But <laughs> if you get the first, to the like, first two or three full lines, will clue you in why we're just giggling like crazy people yep. here because it's kind of funny. It's really funny. Um, like we said, definitely cheeky because the rest of the song has nothing to do with it, but just no. uh first like two the first or three couple lines, of sentences yeah first so, first couple of lines so mm. funny <laughs> the last song is yet again david bowie <gasps> god among men this is again from labyrinth and it is reese i put it into context of reese to Farah after trial too when he's stopping her from breaking and it's the song underground and if you've seen the movie it is the closing credit song and the lyrics are really great. And it just really kind of talks about this whole underground. They literally reference being underground, which, hello, we're under the mountain. So, you know, you got to kind of like the crazy there. Um, but yeah, I mean, those are our songs and, you know, added to everything else. We only have a couple more songs left in this playlist for this book. Uh, I will warn you that book two has a very long playlist. <laughs> We have feels about book two. Um, we had lots of feels. 
But speaking of this book, uh, we are wrapping up. We only have two episodes left for this book. And they will be a little bit on the shorter side. And that's because of the way that the chapters break down. Sorry. I was going to say thank thank you all for staying with us and, and getting this far. We hope you're enjoying this. We hope you're having fun. Exactly. And if you have made it this far, as a reminder, you can hang out with us on any of the social platforms. Uh, remember, these are all massive with two A's and one S because Sir J. Mass, and that is her name, and we thought we were cute and funny. So, <laughs> we were feeling a little punny. We thought we were so funny that day. So, on <laughs> Facebook, you can find us at Massive Fans Book Club and Podcast, Twitter at Massive Podcast, Instagram at Massive Fans Podcast, Pinterest at Massive Fans, and now on TikTok at Massive Fan Pod. Our website is massivefanbookclub.com and there you can find also like our contact button so that you can reach out by email or you can read a little more about us. We just posted our bios there and we'll be posting some blog posts there, uh, mostly throughout the second book where, uh, you know, it's so insanely long. Like, the, like, you guys, you think today took a long time to get through some of these chapters. Oh, you have no <laughs> you idea. You have no idea. So sometimes there will be topics we will just... Uh, basically admit we don't have time to discuss on the podcast and we will put them into blog form. So next week we go through just three chapters, 41 through 43, because they're kind of a lot and because kind of like this week, we have to do a deep dive into a whole topic of consent and, yeah, you know, repercussions for things morally great characters do. So with that in mind, um, okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs>